0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Church Public, family, friends. I'm so glad you joined us here today. Today we are talking about a new topic. I have titled it The Cult of Identity. I've also been told that this is a rather complicated topic. So if you want to grab a pen and paper, that's fine. Uh, If you want to just enjoy it, sit back, relax, and listen, it is good to have you here. So let's go. All right, welcome back. This is going to be a two-part podcast because it is a rather complicated subject. I'm going to go over some things in current culture. I'm going to go over some things in history. I'm going to go over some philosophical things. I will try to make as much sense as I can, but stick with me if you are able. I think this is going to be helpful for you to understand what's going on in church, what's going on in religion, and what is going on in culture. As always, I think this is a good time to examine what is going on in religion, what is going on in culture, and how those two connect. There are some weird and different things happening today than have happened before. And if we understand what they are, we can have a better opportunity to engage with the culture rather than running away from the culture, be in the world and not with the world, as Jesus has asked us to be. So sit back and relax, and let's go ahead and get started. All right. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad that you joined us today. We are going to be talking about some things that are going on in current culture. This is, again, the Church Public Podcast. And so we're talking about church, we're talking about public, we're talking about faith, we're talking about the Public square and what it looks like, what impact it has on religion, what impact religion has on the public. We're going to be looking at different sides of this. Today, we're going to be looking at the new religion that I believe is popping up in and around America, whether you see it or not. More and more, the world is fraying around us. This past week, there were violent attacks on churches, church property, and even church attenders. Much of you, many of you, probably haven't heard about this in the media. In Boston, a statue of the Virgin Mary was set on fire. In Florida, a man drove his car into a church, got out, and set the church on fire while people were still inside. In California, a fire was set at the San Gabriel Mission. Some of this is directed at statues, but it is escalating quickly, as you saw in Florida. People don't hate statues. People hate something much deeper and darker than statues. It's clear that there's something else going on here because statues are inanimate. They don't have any intrinsic personality to them. It's what's behind the statues that's important. And as you look at these churches, the reason that people are defiling them, burning them, I think has a lot to do with God. I think people hate God. I think people hate the authority that God presumes to have over them, over their lives, over this world. God says he has the authority to tell people what you can and can't do, what is right and what is wrong. Instead, I think people want to be the authority in their own life. They want to be the source of power, the source of right and wrong. Even, we've been talking a lot about the Founding Fathers, the founding of America, back to the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution both point not to humans as the source of authority or government or ruler or king. No, the Declaration points to God as the source of authority. The provider of these inalienable rights, these things that you have outside of the country, outside of other things, these are rights that you have from God. That document even says that God is the supreme judge of the world, and there are people these days who don't like that. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to be under an authority, whether it's America, whether it's government, whether it's police, they want to live whatever life they choose. The righteous protests to the death of George Floyd have devolved into something much darker. Instead of building something up, this movement is desiring to tear it down. Anarchy and anger are the motivations for many this day. You see an example of the result of this in real time during this Capitol Hill autonomous zone, which then changed to the Capitol Hill organized protest, the Chaz or the Chop. The area was taken by brute force and held with increasing force. And in that, there were numerous murders, injuries, and frankly, it's unknown what other moral atrocities occurred there. We can only guess because we don't really know. The media wasn't really allowed in there. And in history, we see a lot of examples of revolutions starting like this, starting with idealistic goals and quickly and severely moving and working to destroy Christianity and to destroy the church. Look at the French Revolution. Look at the Russian Revolution. Look at the Cultural Revolution in China more recently, just to name a few. In each case, what began as cultural reform and what the people viewed as necessary changes, and they may have been, that was quickly transformed into rage against this machine. The anger and outpouring of violence could never be satisfied. Eric Metaxas says it like this, the envy of those with more or envy of those in power has been defiled and was itself being worshipped. In other words, there can be never any satisfaction for those kinds of forces. And I believe that everybody worships something. You become like what you worship. As a believer in Christ, I want desperately to be more like Christ. I want to be more loving, more sacrificial, more grace-filled, more kind, But if you make a God out of envy or pride or anger, as many seem to be doing, you become full of envy and pride and anger. For thousands of years, those traits were viewed as not ideal. And at this point, it seems like these are goals to be attained. In fact, as I was putting this together, the Smithsonian came out with a document on why it's bad to be white in the attributes a white has that's immoral, attributes of immorality in the white race. It includes things like family structure, having a husband, a wife, and kids, having objective, rational thinking, having a hard work ethic, having respect for authority, owning property, planning for the future, decision-making, justice, being polite. Those are all the bad things that are on this document that a white person is not supposed to have. And, of course, it also includes Christianity as the list of grievance, grievances against other races. But if memory serves, Jesus was Jewish, not particularly white. Admittedly, I believe Jesus is the only way, but I don't force others to follow that. I only ask for the framework to allow me and others the freedom to do what they want to do. I'm not asking for the closing of any religious institution In fact, quite the opposite. Merely, I want the freedom, as stated in the Constitution, to follow my religious beliefs and for others to follow theirs. I hope and I pray for that, for a place where no matter what idea or religion you hold, you can practice that as long as you're not forcing it upon someone else. And I also want to say that racism is always wrong. Racism is an offense to humanity. It's an offense to God himself. And the reason it's wrong is because every person is made in the image of God. Every person has intrinsic value. To say that a person or a group is less than in any way based on some immutable characteristic like the color of their skin or their heritage is overt racism. And it must be called out in every instance. That is wrong. And we must fight against that. So back to religion and identity. People need religion. Don't let people tell you otherwise. It's a human condition. We need something that is bigger than ourselves to help us navigate these challenges of life. When we see injustice, when we experience hurt, we need something to provide meaning, to provide comfort that this that we're in is somehow worth it. For millennia, thousands of years, we've turned to different religions in different parts of the world. Greek and Roman gods, Norse gods, Buddha, Hindu deities, Egyptian gods, pharaohs, different spirits in creation, ancestors, and so on and so on. And of course, you have the God of the Bible, first for the Jews and then for the Christians through Jesus Christ. Now, in America, it appears we have banished God, which of course really started in the liberal awakening of the last few centuries. But as every generation, this particular one believes they killed God, just like Nietzsche said. In the vacuum of no God, there has been a new God. And I would say that is the God of identity. This religion of identity, and and we'll talk about more in a moment, which I think is actually kind of a cult of identity, has everything other religions have had. They have sin, they have penance, they have chance, they have worship. This is the new church. The congregants have to go to church to be lectured, to be told by their enlightened pastors what they should and should not do. They need to find awareness of their sins so they don't commit those sins again. The problem here is that the sins keep changing or getting more severe or getting more impossible to atone for. Here's an example. There's a meeting once a year of the initiated into this new religion, and you could call that the Grammys. So I would say that there are people uh, who stand up on the stage of the Grammys and they stand up there and they give their speeches. uh, But the speeches have seemingly turned into speeches about the ills, the sins of the culture and what we're doing wrong and what we need to change in order to do right. That's what I'm talking about in this religion. Those are pieces of a religion. It's these sins that you have committed and then the penance that you have to do in order to be right again or righteous again with this cult, this religion of identity. And those people that stand up in front of the audience of the Grammys, tell you what you've done wrong, what you need to do to do right, and how you move forward. Those are the pastors, the priests of this new religion. And those pastors, those priests, tend to grow and grow and grow, more of them every day, because there are more identities every day, and there are more sins every day. Those things that all of us do wrong, um, whether that is to what used to be to the environment or to another person based on their race or based on their gender or based on something. Um, And we do those things wrong, and we have to figure out how we are to get right. What are the correct actions? And so these pastors pop up, and they tell us what we are supposed to do right and what we are doing wrong. And this whole system is based on the idea that you have value based on your identity, that identity is not singular. You can have many. You can be known by your race, your gender, your class, your financial status, your state, your country, as long, of course, as it's not America, because America is now bad. We're seeing these priests appear miraculously and about all kinds of issues, racial reconciliationists, viral prophets, school saints, gender role guardians, and so on and so forth. With each identity comes a faction of those that lead it, those that support it, those that worship it. They preach the truths of this identity gospel to the masses on social media. They create religious ceremonies that include all of these trappings of organized religion, though much less organized. I'm going to read off these different attributes of religion quickly, and then we'll go into each one in a little more detail. There's the priesthood, there's the laity or the followers, there's the worship services, there's sin, there are sinners. There's confession, there's penance, where you pay the price for what you did. There's absolution and hopefully forgiveness, or the opposite in some cases, where you get punishment or even banishment. So some examples of these, the priesthood, that's the leaders of the identity group. In some cases, it's celebrities It may be a politician that's a leader on something like climate change or coronavirus or something else. Then there is the lady, the followers in the identity group, those that want to be in it. Those people that believe 100% of what the leader says, regardless of facts or science or truth. What the leader says is what we do. There are worship services. Those are things like concerts, protests, marches, chants. Watch some of these events with different eyes and see if you can identify the leader, the pastor, the followers, the different players within this new religion. You may see something different in them. There is sin. I know we don't like to use that word, but we can call that whatever thing is disliked by the identity group and needs to be changed in culture. It's that thing, you know, when you watch these events or concerts or marches, see if you can spot the thing that we need to get rid of or get more of, whether it's getting rid of climate change or getting rid of cars. So that was a thing, getting rid of airplanes, turning everything into windmills, getting rid of coal. I mean, climate change ones went on and on and on. Um, And, that's just one example of an identity. Again, there are lots and lots and lots of different identities. That's the sin. You have the sinner, which is the perpetrator of the sin towards the identity group. And that's, you know, the group that is against the identity group. You know, in climate change, again, it could be the climate deniers. In corona, it could be the ones that certain politicians said were going to kill their grandma with their actions. Um, and there's all sorts of different pieces going on in the coronavirus as far as sins and things you're going to do wrong masks that's a big issue right whether you wear it or whether you don't wear it and whether that's a sin or whether it's not a sin i mean these are all there's some science there but the science is very confusing or not to some and again that's where it's very polarizing these things are very polarizing and it pits one side against another side that's the point i'm trying to make here the identity of one tends to be the opposite of the identity with the other. Then, once you've identified the sin and the sinner, you have to go for confession. This is just like in Catholic Church, right? The sinner's prayer to the priesthood. The sinner, um, and we've seen this with several celebrities recently, one of the Jimmys dressed up as another race and had to apologize numerous times and beg forgiveness for a second chance at being part of the group. And then once you've confessed, you have to pay penance. Whatever must be done to satisfy the identity group. Another of the jimmies took a summer vacation for also dressing up as another race. And in fact, is not even on TV right now. So something is going on there. Are they paying penance? I have no idea. Um, but you see these types of actions. And then hopefully, through all of those things, through identification of the sin, through confession and penance, you find forgiveness. You find absolution. Hopefully, The acceptance of that sinner through their apology enfolds them back into this group. And unfortunately, then if penance is not enough, they're banished. Hopefully the confession is significant and it is accepted, but in some cases it is not. And if it is, then maybe you get forgiveness and forgiveness is granted. And there are real penalties for this sin. There are punishments. There is a penance you have to pay. And for a moment, it was just apologies and confession, and then you move on and you're good. But now it has moved into real life. Every day I hear stories about someone who was fired for something they said, something they posted, something they liked even. Um, and you, you, if you only confess a little, if you don't confess enough, you may become ostracized. You may not only get kicked out of... This new religion or this identity group, you may get banished out into the cold, into the wilderness uh, as a racist, as a bigot, etc. And you may then lose your job, maybe your career, maybe even your friends and your family. There are serious and real world consequences to this new religion of identity, this cult of identity. That is why the truth of Christianity is the only cure. The core tenet of Christianity is this love of God through Jesus, and the opposite of love is hate. The very enemy of love, the enemy of God, is that of actual evil, the actually the evil one, Satan. The way of Christ is also about identity, but it's not something external like the ones we just talked about. Identity in Christ is that of internal transformation into the image of God. In the image of God, the amago Dei is birthed not out of external circumstances, but the eternal, innate characteristics that make every human unique and similar. The image of God is a foundation that every person can stand upon and look around at others knowing they have eternal value because of who made them. It gives ultimate value as a beloved child to the individual that you may not even receive on this earth. It gives value to each and every person to the extent that, as Jesus says in his second of two commandments, we are to love others as Christ loved us and gave his life for our life. This identity in Christ is the antidote to the cult of identity. The cult seeks to destroy the opposite of each identity, and inherently so. The opposition of any given identity is by definition an enemy, and they cannot coexist. This identity inherited by this intrinsic trait or earned by circumstances at odds with those on the other end of the spectrum. For example, a poor person is the enemy of the rich because the poor person is entitled to more than they have received through their circumstances. An oppressed race is due reparations from a supremacist race, regardless of current circumstances or experience because of the evils of history, and those must be justified. The weaker gender must be elevated over the stronger gender to make the suppression of power less irritating. And it gets more confusing because any individual can have multiple identities, such as race and gender and class, and you can put them all together into a grid that moves into some kind of downward pyramid of who can have the most points of oppression. And of course, This also creates a pyramid on the top with who is viewed as doing the most oppressive things. This is not a new concept. It's what happens when we move God out of the heart of our lives and move something else in. Paul was dealing with this 2,000 years ago he started a church in Galatia. He helped actually start churches all across the Mediterranean. And he wrote many of the letters to these churches that were put together in what we now call the New Testament. So in Galatians 3.28, he says, neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, you are all the same in Christ Jesus. In other words, in the church at the time, People were making distinctions based on what you look like, who you were, what your religious background was, what your race was, where you came from, if you were a slave, if you were free, etc., etc. This is not an exhaustive list, and it doesn't need to be. The point is, this is a list of different categories, identities of people that were seen and viewed and treated differently. And Paul reminds them then and reminds us now that you are all the same in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you look like. In Jesus, with that as the foundation of your identity, with that as the foundation of who you are, you are the same. And in Jesus, you love One another. Again, we talked about that. Jesus' second command after the first command of loving God with everything you have is to love one another to the extent that Jesus loved you, which is dying on the cross for you. If we were to put our identity into this place where we are looking out for one another to the point of death, giving up our very lives for those around us, I think love would be stronger than it is now all right that's enough for today we're gonna go ahead and take a break. We're going to come back on a different episode and talk about the cult part of this cult of identity, what that looks like. We're going to look at cults. We're going to look at a little bit of postmodernism. So I hope you've enjoyed this and I hope you come back and hear from us again. I just really want you to understand church. I want you to understand the culture, the public, and how you can play a role in it. We are called to love one another and I hope that you do. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week and that God blesses you in your time together. Remember to love one another and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today at Church Public. Please subscribe and rate. It really does help. If you like what you hear and you want to support, go to churchpublic.com for some of the options there. God bless and we'll be talking soon.